Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. We've been in Brentwood uh, 25 uh, years. People say, how long, how have you stayed in church that long? I, I don't know. I just got up and went to work and there was always something to do. And before I knew it, 25 years had gone. And uh, Nashville's a great place. It's a very creative town. Uh, everybody in town plays, writes, or sings. Uh, every insurance agent, every banker, a- every car salesman is there. They're just doing that until the big break happens. Uh, and the interesting thing about preaching in, in a place like Nashville is if you say the, anything the least little bit creative, all the writers in your congregation go, it's like, hey, 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 it's copyrighted. Word for a third. I've been on enough album notes, you know. I want to thank my pastor for his support. I'm looking for some cash now. I know how that goes. <laughs> Word for a third. I'm, I, you know. But it's good. Now, listen, I've been doing what I've been doing for longer than, than, uh, than I would like to tell you. Uh, pastor of First Baptist Church in Edgefield, South Carolina, which I miss dearly this time of the year because when I was in Edgefield, uh, I got free passes to the Masters every year. And now I have no connections anymore, so that's a bummer. Uh, left there and went to First Baptist Church, Malden, South Carolina, just outside Greenville. From there in 1991, I went to uh, Brentwood and... Uh, and we have had a really uh, good time with that. But I have noticed something uh, troubling in, in my time uh, as, as, a, as a pastor. And the troubling thing is a lot of the guys that I went to seminary with aren't in the ministry anymore. And all the studies that we're now getting tell us that most of you won't be in there either. That what is it, five years? Most of you will not be in the ministry anymore. Uh, and this is coming at a critical time in North American history when the church is facing a massive transition in how we have to reach the lost in the North American culture. And we're desperately needing creative ministers, pastors, missionaries to the North American culture. Uh, we no longer live in a Christian nation. I will argue, I'll let historians debate whether or not we ever did. But if you think we do now, then you're going to be really, really disappointed. Uh, because we're not, there's nothing Christian in anything that our culture thinks or wants or desires. No Christian influence in most of that. Uh, in fact, now if you say that you're a Christian, there are some science departments that will not hire you. And, and this is true. Uh, I mean, I'm not making that up to be dramatic as a preacher. This is the things that we're finding out. So it is, it is vital that we, that we identify and call and train and release to ministry people who can do things differently for a different setting. And, and alarmingly, many of you within five years of this moment right now will not be doing it. And you think it's going to be over some great controversy. Uh, you think there's going to come some theological moment when like Martin Luther, you're going to have to na- nail some kind of piece of paper on some church door. Uh, you, you're going to think it's going to be about some doctrinal issue where you had to make a stand or that you'll be arrested and persecuted and, 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 and we'll forget about you as you, 
as you spend the rest of your life in jail, it's not going to be any of that. You will forget the fundamentals. You will drop the ball on the most basics of things. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes are the fundamentals. This is one of those sermons that you need to write down and you need to hold on to it. You need to put it in your back pocket because if it's not now, there'll come a time where you're going to say, you know, Mike told me there would be a day like this and you're going to need to get out these handful of things that I'm going to tell you and remember how you stay in this marathon of ministry. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You don't get a trophy for the first hundred yards. You have to run the whole race. And we're fortunate in that we have stories of heroes. And the interesting thing about the Bible and the stories that it tells us about its heroes is we know when they fail. Uh, Most hero stories omit when the hero fails. We hear about it and all the details uh, of when they didn't do as well as we'd hoped they would do. And in the 19th chapter of 1 Kings, we have a story of Elijah, of Elijah failing. Listen to this story as the writer of 1 Kings gives it to us. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah said, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. And Elijah became afraid. And immediately he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went a day's journey into the wilderness and he sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my father's. Then he laid down and he slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. And he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, or the journey will be too hard for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God, and he entered a cave there, and he spent the night. Get up and eat for the journey is too hard for you. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Pray with me. We want to do well. We got into this thing because we thought telling people about you was the most important thing we could do with our lives. But wanting to do well isn't enough. 
We must be well to do well. So remind us of those fundamentals that keep us living out of the overflow as we minister. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Does it bother you that Elijah got depressed? It bothers me. Because see, when I was a little kid growing up in a, in a Huntsville Park Baptist Church, Elijah was the man. Okay, if you were going to go into the ministry, you wanted to be Elijah. John the Baptist, okay, he baptized Jesus, that's nice. But Elijah, he was the man. Elijah called down fire from heaven and now he's running like a scared little girl. What is wrong with this man? Remember the story. Chapter 19 comes after chapter 18. Funny how that happens. Elijah confronts King Ahab and the prophets of Baal and in the, one of the most dramatic moments in all of the Bible, he calls down fire from heaven. Not only does the fire come from heaven and ignite the sacrifice, it ignites the altar, lifts up all the water. Nobody has ever seen a fire like that since. People get excited, they kill the prophets of Baal, there has never been a revival like that. What a moment, what any of us would give to have one moment like that. Come on now, you've prayed it just like I have. I just want one little miracle. If I can get just one look, doesn't have to be fire from heaven, I'll be happy if a candle lit. Okay, I just want one of those moments. And you know, you know, if you had that moment, if you had that fire from heaven moment, that's all you would talk about. Right? You get together at the Baptist convention, all your friends talking about how many people were at Easter, how many people were going into missions, how many people they had baptized, and you would wait. Let it hang a minute and say, well, I was there when fire came, boys. Top that one. You would say, if, if I had that kind of miracle, that kind of moment, I would never ask for anything else ever. That would be enough. Wasn't enough for Elijah. Ahab goes home, pounced to Jezebel. Elijah was mean to me. And Elijah sends a messenger. She doesn't send the soldier to kill him. This woman's evil. Not only is she going to kill him, she wants him to have time to think about dying. She wants to torture him. She could have just sent a soldier, messenger found him, a soldier could have found him. She could have just sent the soldier and killed him, but she didn't. She said, this is what the queen says. You got 24 hours and you're a dead man walking. 24 hours and you'll be just as dead as all of those prophets. Tick tock. And Elijah, this great man of faith, runs. You would think he would tell the messenger, I've just seen God send fire from heaven. I believe we can handle Jezebel. Tell Jezebel where I am. He doesn't. He runs. Not only does he run, but get this, this great man of faith does the Old West thing. The thing you see in the Old West movies, right? The, the outlaws are running from the posse, do, 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 trying to get away, do, do, keep looking back, can't get away. So what do they do? They split up. 
The posse won't chase both of them. He leaves his servant behind. This great man of faith here. Maybe she'll be content with just killing you. And he runs until he can't run anymore. And he lays down in the dirt and he prays his prayer before he goes to sleep. It's not now I lay me down to sleep. It's dear God, just let me die. Dear God, just let me die. Oh, you're writing a note inside of your Bible. I'll never pray this prayer. Oh, yes, you will. I don't know what the moment will be. It'll be a time a church challenges you as being a leader. It'll be a time when illness begins to rob your life of people that you love. And you'll lay down and you'll say, I can't take any more. Just let me die. And in one of the most tender moments in all of the Bible, God lets him sleep, watches over him while he sleeps. When he slept, the angel wakes him up to the smell of fresh bread and the taste of ice cold water. Get up and eat. Elijah eats, goes back to sleep. God lets him sleep. Wakes him up again. The angel says, get up and eat or the journey will be too hard. In that moment, when Elijah is at his lowest, God takes him back to the basics. Food rest. He gives his child the gift of rest. Every much too often, every week, every other week, I don't know, we read the story of a major Christian leader who has fallen into some kind of disgrace. It's on the headlines of the papers. They're outed. They're caught. There's something and everybody says, well, this is, this is what happens and you can't trust anybody and you know that's not what happened. I can tell you what happened. They started doing ministry and forgot the fundamentals. You make the mistake of thinking that talking about Jesus is the same thing as being with Jesus and it's not. All of a sudden you show up to the church. And by the way, somebody needs to tell you the church is a wicked mistress. You will come to the church and the church will reward you into self-destruction. We'll give you plaques. We'll give you raises. We'll bring you up on the platform. We'll love you. He's always here. He's always at the hospital. He's always doing ministry. When your wife leaves you, we'll fire you the same day. We'll go hire somebody that looks just like you. We'll start all over again. Church is a wicked mistress. And here's what happens. Most of you in the ministry will 
be disobedient to one of God's big 10 ideas and you will neglect to keep Sabbath. You will run yourself into fatigue, to a spiritual fatigue. Ministries, ministers don't explode, okay? You never hear about us grabbing an Uzi and shooting the congregation, okay? All right, it crosses our mind, okay, all right. But we don't do it. What happens to ministers is we implode. The pressure on the outside becomes greater than the pressure on the inside and we collapse. And you do that because you drop the fundamentals of Sabbath. Sunday is not your Sabbath. Sunday is a work day. And that means one day a week, you're not available. Now, I wouldn't stand up and announce to the church, don't call me on Thursday, that's my Sabbath, because everybody in your congregation will call you just to be hateful about it. But there's a reason God gave you voicemail. Sorry I missed your call. And you step away. And you sit down. And you remember the sun came up in the morning, didn't ask your permission. It'll go down in the evening and will not check with you on its way by. It doesn't depend on you, and that is good news. You need Sabbath to remember that. You need Sabbath to enjoy being alive. You need Sabbath to recreate, to re-energize, to refocus. Do you know the Hebrews came up with the idea of Sabbath? Before, before the Hebrews, there was no Sabbath. And God gave the Hebrews Sabbath because he wanted them to remember when you were a slave in Egypt, somebody else told you when to get up, somebody else told you when to go to sleep, somebody else told you what to do. You are now free people under my rule and you will sit down on the Sabbath and no man will tell you to get up and go to work. You're free. And you will fall into the slavery of thinking I have to be available to my people all the time for everything and you will destroy yourself for failing to keep Sabbath. If you work on my staff, you will be required one day a month to take a spiritual retreat day, to disconnect, to go off by yourself and remember why you do what you do. To be refreshed. Now I know you're thinking, man, my, my, my people need me, my people call me. Nobody was more needed than Jesus. He was more needed than you. You got that, don't you? Okay. His habit, we're told according to the gospels, that he would slip off regularly and nobody would know where he was. The disciples would have to find him. Jesus made it a habit. That should be a clue for how you and I live our lives. You need to step away. And you need to remember it doesn't count on you. That you're just one man who gets one person, one woman who gets to be part of what God is doing. And that's always privilege. I lost my voice. I had granulomas on my vocal cord. I woke up in the middle of the night in a sweat. 
I went into my study and I wrote in my journal, if I cannot preach, what will I do for you? And in that moment, I want, the, I, want the, I want to tell you that the word of the Lord to me was, don't worry, I'm going to heal you, don't worry about it. But it wasn't. The word was simply this. You'll find some other way to serve me. But don't think I need you to preach. But I really want to. That's different. But don't think I need you to. Most of you are sleep deprived. Most of us need excess of eight hours of sleep. We got all kinds of science, but most of you think you can go on less than that, you can't. It breaks your body down in all kinds of ways. And one of the things it does is it makes you depressed, it makes you angry, it makes you frustrated, it makes you slow in thinking. So the first thing that God gave Elijah in this moment was rest. Second, gave him food. You know, the first thing the church does when you show up as an employee of the church, it takes the Bible away from you. Now the Bible, and I get emails that tell me, here is a software you need for your biblical tool. My Bible's not a tool. It's not something I put in my garage. This is a sacred text of God's story with his people. And, 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 and one of the reasons that I do what I do and I love doing what I do is I love reading scripture and all of a sudden they were, they were taken away from you. Now you gotta come up with a Sunday because I wanna tell you, you pastor a church, you're three days in your week. The day before you preach, the day you preach and the day after you preach. And on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, they don't care what kind of week you've had. They don't care if you've been in the hospital, they don't care how many funerals you've had, it's time for you to preach, you better have something to say. And all of a sudden you've got this grind, I've gotta come up and say, so you never read the Bible anymore for the sheer joy of reading scripture. You never read the Bible anymore just to see what it would say to you. You never open the Bible in the presence of the author. The radical teaching of Christianity is not that Jesus lived, but that Jesus is living. And our rabbi tells us if you open my book, I'll talk to you about what's in it. I'll teach you what it means. I will help you understand what I'm saying. And all you have to do is sit down long enough to know I'm there. This Jesus who comes to us Nothing sends me over the edge faster than somebody coming up going, Mike, Mike, I found Jesus. Jesus wasn't lost. Jesus found you. The good news of the gospel is not that you can get to God. The good news of the gospel is that God in Jesus Christ has come to us. And you open this Bible and you read it in the presence of the rabbi What does this mean? Help me understand. How do I apply this? How do I do this? And he will teach you. And you will come out of the overflow into your ministry. Ministry, however you define it, however you do it, is giving yourself away. And if you're not careful to keep Sabbath, to stay in the word, then you will eventually get to the place where you have nothing to give. And when you do that, you're no good to anybody. You always have to come out of that overflow. What did Jesus promise the woman at the well? 
that there'll be springs of water that flow within you that will never run dry. And you do that ministry out of the overflow. If you squeeze a a tube of toothpaste, what comes out? You're saying toothpaste because that's what you assume is inside. But the short answer is what comes out of the toothpaste tube is what's ever inside. Ministry happens when you fill your life with Christ through his word, through prayer, through time with him, and the world squeezes you and what comes out is Jesus. It's always out of that overflow. And honestly, if you don't have that overflow, you're no good to us. I know that's blunt, but that's the truth. You have nothing to bring to us if you're not bringing out of the overflow. Okay, if you, work, if you work on my staff, I will routinely walk up to you and I will surprise you with two questions and you better be able to answer them real fast. One, where are you reading in scripture? Not what book are you reading? I hope you read lots of books. There's a lot of great books out there. I hope you read a lot. But nothing, no book, nowhere, no time replaces the book of the scriptures in the life of a believer. And you'll be tempted to read books on leadership, culture, da-da-da-da-da, and you'll keep meaning to read the Bible and it will be the last thing you read and you'll read it when you're tired and you'll lose it. You better be able to tell me where you're reading in Scripture. And you better be able to tell me what Jesus is teaching you. Uh, will get you sent home for the day. And I literally do that. Where are you reading in Bible? What's Jesus teaching you? Uh, you need to go home. Because you're dangerous in a church. You're dangerous. I call the wives of my staff. I have several pastors who work with me on the pastors of our different campuses. I call their wives. People say, well, isn't that being a little bold? I have to deal with the mess. So I'm gonna be preemptive. I call the wife, tell me what he's doing with his anger. Tell me that he's dealing appropriately with you and the children, okay? Because what does the world teach us? Balance. Can I tell you right now that's bunk? All right, that comes from a failed Eastern philosophy, yin, yang, right? Doesn't work, never has, okay? Appropriately. Jesus gives you the power in the resurrection to respond appropriately. He is walking with his disciples. The woman touches the hem of his garment. He turns and responds to her appropriately. When you go home as a husband, do you respond to your wife appropriately? What does she need? from me? How does she best need me to love her? Sometimes that's as simple as cleaning up the kitchen. Sometimes it's a date night. Sometimes it's I got the kids go watch a movie or something. I'm handling for the next couple of hours because you will be in tune to what she needs. Same with each son, each daughter. But what happens is we go home. We're going to have quality time if it kills everybody. Ah. That's inappropriate. See? Are you responding appropriately? That only comes from a guy, from a woman who is filled up. Who knows that they're loved. 
Did you ever watch the Antique Roadshow? I love that show. It's hilarious. Because there's always a guy who thinks he has something and he has nothing. And the expert goes, nah, a couple of million of these. It's worth about 35 cents. But there's always the, the, the goober who has no idea what he has, right? And he'll walk up and put it on there and, and, and you can tell it's going to be a show because the expert will start hyperventilating, right? <laughs> Where'd you get this? Where'd you get this? My granny gave it to me. <laughs> what do you do with it? Well, I keep changing it. <gasps> you know. Then they put on the white gloves. Now you're into something serious, right? We get the white gloves out. This is serious. And they'll put, well, oh, there's, there's three of these. One in Smithsonian, one's in Missouri, in Philadelphia. We didn't know where the third one was. Oh, you have the third one. And they want to know, well, what's it worth? I don't know. And they'll turn it over and say, this is where the artist signed it. This is who this artist was. I can't tell you what it was worth. I wish there was a way I could grab you and turn you upside down and say, this is where the artist signed you. It's what it means to be a mirror of the Imago Dei. You were signed by the greatest artist of all. We cannot tell you what you're worth. We can tell you this. That on the day the world demanded your ransom, Jesus paid for you with his own life. That's how much you're worth. And when you live out of that, you live out of the, you become an oasis. When you live out of the overflow, you become an oasis. And people will find you. Jesus will bring people to you who need to know his love in a very real and tangible way because people will mark the difference and see the difference because you're living out of that overflow of Christ in you. This is the hope of glory, the mystery that's been held secret till now, Christ in you. And the last thing God gives Elisha, Elijah is a friend. Later in the story, he gives him Elisha, a friend. Most of us grew up with the Marlboro Man, of American individuality, hear me. You cannot live as a Christian by yourself. It's too hard. There's a reason we go with a wagon train. There's a reason we go in tribes. And you're gonna to need to find that brother, that sister who will love you no matter what. Now understand, God will give you a friend that you need, not necessarily the one you want. I've been in the First Baptist Church of, of Malden. We were going through a lot of changes and transitions and one of the, one of the older, older saints of this church died very unexpectedly, very suddenly with a heart attack and it blew me out of the, blew me out of the water because I counted on him so much and, 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 and I was scared. And I talked to a friend of mine, a friend said, you're grieving, you need to go off and, and, and deal with this or it's gonna come out sideways. So I went off for a week. My wife went with me for three days. I sat quietly and did not say a word. And if you know me at all, you know that's, that's not me at all. That's weird. In that, the story of Aaron and her holding Moses' arms came to my mind. And I went and found that story. And the Lord told me, he said, I never intended you to do this by yourself. And I said, okay, I'm not real good at hints. I need three guys who will pray for me. And here's, here's, here's the fleece I'm looking for. Without me saying anything, they're going to walk up and tell me they're praying for me. And I'll know who it is. 
So I went back to church and say anything to anybody. And the chairman of the committee who brought me to Malden walked up to me and said, I'm really glad you're my pastor. You know, I pray for you every day. I said, whoop, you're one. That didn't surprise me. One of the quiet members of our church, a guy named Larry, who was a radio, a radio uh, a breathing specialist. He walks up and he says, you know, I, I don't tell you this enough, but I love you, I pray for you. I said, oh, you're too, it's interesting. A guy named James was a construction guy. He helped me with things in my house. I was by his office and we were talking some things about the house. I got up to leave. He said, hey preacher, come here, sit down. I sat down. He said, listen, when you came here, I didn't like you. Oh, great. He said, but I was telling the Lord I didn't like you. And he told me I was wrong. I need to shut up complaining about you and I need to start praying for you. So I want to tell you, I was wrong not liking you. And I pray for you every day. You're three? Wednesday morning, 6 a.m., we would gather in my office. I told them the story. I said, this is how you got here. And those men began to cry. And they promised me, we'll be here every morning at 6 a.m. We'd get our coffee, we'd say hello to each other. They would look at me and say, how do we pray? And I would tell them and they would pray for me. James was one of those people who thought God was hard of hearing. You have friends like that? The first, Sunday, first Wednesday morning we gathered, he got on his hands and knees in front of me and put his hands on my feet, put his face on his hands, and through his tears, this is what he prayed. Sweet Jesus, my pastor has asked me to pray for him and I want to do that more than anything I've ever done in my life, but you know me. I know me, I can't pray for this man. Not the way he needs to be prayed for. So sweet Jesus, will you come kneel next to me and help me pray for my pastor? You can make it to next Sunday if you know James is on his face praying for you. Three things. Rest, food, water, bread. I am the bread of life and a friend for the journey. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the finish line, knowing like Paul, we have run the race. Let's pray together. Every journey is a step, no matter how long the journey may be. So we pray, Father, that today's steps will bring us closer to you, to our brothers and sisters, to those around us who need us. So that the end of this day, you don't regret that you gave it to us. And we pray this in your name. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. 
Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.